Romans, the 12th chapter. Today, we're going to talk about attitude-driven actions. And um, really, all our actions are attitude-driven, whether we know it or not. Thank you for your excitement. What we do, we do because of attitudes we have. You know, when I was little and I would get spanked, I would say, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt. My brother would be crying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is the difference? They're attitudes that people have. And attitudes can be changed, and some attitudes need to be changed. Turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, if you're not there. We're going to begin reading in the third verse, and we're going to read a few verses. But I'm going to read from a different translation Uh, than I normally do. It says this in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, this is the writer saying he has grace or a gift. By the grace that's given to me, I say to everyone, how many? Everyone. So that means this half of the room God's not talking to, and this half of the room God's talking to, right? Everyone on this side right? You know, because sometimes when we read things, we think, everyone, that's them over there, not me. No, everyone of you or everyone among you. This is talking to every Christian. Do not think. Somebody said, this is going to be an awesome service because I do that a lot. I just don't think. (laughs) That's not what he was saying. He said, Do not think of yourself. Well, that if that was the message right there, boy, we'd be hurt because a lot of times we just think about ourselves. But he said, don't think of yourself, notice this phrase, more highly. More highly than you ought. So you ought to think highly to a certain degree but not more highly. So there's a right way to think of yourself in a good way. Why? Because you're God's creation. Right? You belong to him. You don't have to beat yourself up. Jesus, by a free gift, washed you of your sins. He's not holding things against you. Some people would, would uh, not just need to be told, don't think more highly, but don't think too low. But in this context, he's saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. So there is a way you ought to think about yourself in a good light, but not more highly. We know Satan thought good about himself, but then he started thinking more highly than he ought. And he had a reason to think high of himself if you look at scripture. But he became arrogant. And uh, all the giftings and all the abilities he had, which were God-distributed, he, they, they tweaked his own viewpoint of himself. And uh, he got arrogant and started thinking, look at me. And he got a coup going. Isn't it wild that a third of the angels in heaven that were able to see God were influenced by arrogance. I mean, think about it. 
there must have been something that God so placed in Lucifer that a third of the angels believed we could take over this joint. I mean, they really did. They, or they wouldn't have done it. They really thought they had a shot at it. Obviously, they were deceived. And arrogance is blinding. It blinds the person who possesses it. And so he tells us here, don't think more highly. And arrogance is having a greater esteem about yourself than is right. It's being more absorbed in you and in what you are and what you possess than you should. And that can be a tricky thing because God gives us stuff. And then we accumulate things and, you know, and I mean, then you got the enemy who'll be tapping on your shoulder telling you how good you are anyway. I mean, if he can't knock you down, he'll try to lift you up. And so he says here, more highly, don't think more highly than you ought to think. Isn't it interesting, most of us know Romans 12, 1 and 12, 2 that says, verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then the very first thing he talks about concerning your mind and the world is don't think too highly of yourself beyond what you should. Isn't that interesting? Renew your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, the first area is don't get all puffed up. And people can be puffed up in ways they don't even know they're puffed up. Well, I've just done so many things wrong. God will never forgive me. You're just too puffed up in yourself and what you've done instead of what he did. No, but you just don't know what I've done. That's you, me, me. Notice who you're talking about. Me. You don't know what I've done. Me. Me. When Satan tried to take over, we're going to look at this, I think. Man, there was a lot of me and I and I can do and all this stuff. And uh, we need to become more focused, not just on me and what I've done, but on what the Lord has done and what the Lord has given me to do. And he said this, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. If you become the richest person here in this room financially, and all of a sudden your name becomes great like some of these people that are, you know, some of the richest people in the world, you need to recognize that's a gift that you steward. Don't get so lifted up that you start thinking, I'm better than everybody else. Recognize this, there are ways that people look at people in the world, but that doesn't always transfer into the kingdom of God. So you have to be careful of your own attitude. How many times do people get a higher position and their attitude change? 
changes, and they think they're better because of it. Now, we can judge any of them. But we may be all in places moving up too, and we don't need to be a judge of them. We just need to contain ourselves. And if it was instruction here, it's instruction for here, meaning here in the Bible, here for our lives. Because God's got great plans for everybody and to do great things. But the big thing is, is what drives us from in? What, what's our motive? Well, I just need to use my gifts because I got to get rich. Rich should be the offshoot or the byproduct of the gift to sing, so to speak. You know what I mean? In other words, that should, money should not be my ultimate goal. But it can be a byproduct. You know, my serving God should not just be what I get out of it, but what do I get to give because I have a gift and the byproduct may be rewards and other things like that. But the attitude behind it is huge. And so he said, but rather think of yourself with sober or clear minded judgment. Why does he use the word sober? We know what people look like when they're drunk. You ever seen people start drinking and they get drunk? They start acting different. They get blurred. Their attitudes change. And they think they're having a good time. But have you ever looked and went, oh my goodness. They got to wake up tomorrow. And, and here he's saying with sober judgment or clear-minded attitude on this, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. And when he talks about this faith that's distributed, he's really talking about a confidence that every one of us should have that we're all gifted to serve in the body of Christ and to do something in the world without exception. And we're going to go on and look at this. He said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So he's going to give us an illustration of what he's trying to explain. He said, each one of you has one body. You ever notice that? Like when you woke up this morning, you, you did all you could to get your one body ready to come to church. Not two bodies. Somebody said, oh no, I got kids. Then, no, that's their body. You're helping. But you got your own body. And isn't it interesting, he said, and all the members of that body. So even though I've got one body, the Bible says I have different members. A hand, a finger, an elbow is a different member of my body. And if you notice, different ones have different functions or different parts, each one. Have you ever noticed that? Your, your feet do things different than your hands and your elbows and on and on. And all the different parts have a different function. Notice this in verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And what's he talking about? He's saying every one of us here and the ones who aren't here, we form one body. 
many of us, just like you have one body and it's formed by various parts, he said, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member, which is you, you, you say you're talking about me? Yes, you. You're talking about me? You. Everyone. So that's you. Notice this. Each member belongs to all the others. Why would I or you belong to everybody else in this body? Why do you belong to others? Why do, why do people belong to others? That's a good question. And if I belong to others, what does that mean? What does it look like? What's it supposed to look like? He goes on to say in verse 6, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. He's starting to explain now why you belong to others. Because you have a different gift. And we'll say it this way, the gift is not for you. Every person, every part has a gift. And the gift is not for you. The gift is for others. I mean, if you have a gift to serve and to do certain things, and you, you help greet and stuff like that, that gift of hospitality and being a certain way and greeting and being kind is not for you. You show up and you go hide in the youth room and you're all talking to yourself. Man, it's so good to see you today. You're in the bathroom, you know, looking at yourself. Man, it's awesome for you to be here. You look as good as you did this morning when you were in the mirror at home. Whew, you're good looking. I sure hope you have a good day. You talk to the mirror. Yeah. I'm hoping I do too, as long as I don't run into anybody else. It should go pretty good. No, that gift is not for you to be self-absorbed. It's for others. In other words, God put gifts in every single person to what? To what? Affect the whole body. What if a greeter doesn't greet? But it says we have different gifts according to the grace or the endowment given to each of us. Somebody may say, well, I don't have anything. You do have something. And it is of great value. You know, some people are like, you know, why do, why do you got kneecaps? They're kind of funky. Well, you'd walk like a giraffe without them. No, they have a greater function than that, too. They seem insignificant, but of great value. You with me? You ever hyperextend your knee just a little bit? That's your kneecap coming into action. That kneecap's valuable. Tendons, ligaments, every part. And he said, we have different gifts or functions. According to the grace given to each of us, 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. There's that phrase, in, in accordance with your faith, or what you have confidence in. We should be confident that we do have gifts and abilities. Now, he's talking about our attitude here. One attitude is this. I got to do something. I can't just sit by. Each member has a gift. Because of that gift, every member has a purpose. Some people don't realize, and they're trying to find out what their purpose is. It's definitely connected to the first, the body of Christ. Then gifts are given to every purpose. And in that gifting is a purpose, a design. There's a purpose. I mean, if, if you live in Alaska or live in the north, you may drive a different car than you drive here. Convertibles may not be the vehicle of choice with rear-wheel drive and lots of horsepower up there. You may be wanting a Subaru with all-wheel drive. Because why? That car has a different purpose. Now, you can drive them in both places, but they serve a purpose in different weather. And we're not all the same, but each one of us has a grace. And with that grace or that gift comes a purpose. And when we talk about purpose, then you have to realize if I have a purpose in life, I have a place. I have a place. And that place is in the body of Christ. And then that's really God's ultimate design. So I need to recognize those things. That each person has a gift. And because I have a gift, I have a purpose. Because I have a purpose, I have a place to use it in the body. This is beginning to walk in God's design for humanity. Each member belongs to others to the body because God is given a gift. You're responsible, and you may not realize this, but every one of us have a responsibility to the body of Christ. Each one of us do, by virtue of having a gift for the body of Christ. Everyone does. There's not one person who's given their life to the Lord that does not have divine purpose because they have a divine gift and therefore they have a contribution that belongs to the body of Christ. How many people, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about different singers, you know, and they've given their lives to the Lord. Now they're using their music in a Christian way and people aren't sure if it's good, bad, or whatever it is. Listen, ultimately gifts are from God regardless of what it's used for or been used for. It can be tweaked. It can be perverted. But God gives gifts. And there's a purpose in a gift. And then that purpose needs to be put into play for what reason? Well, if there is a supply that doesn't come to a body, then the body lacks. Not by God's design, not by his ultimate goal and his ultimate purpose, but because those gifts are not being utilized. Thank you. Here's one thing for sure. 
it takes, and we talked about this at the beginning, a certain attitude of humility, not arrogance, to be a giver. To, to, to put your gift into action, it takes a certain attitude, and it really takes being a giver, because when you use your gift, you're giving what's been given to you to the body. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy to use your gift because you're going to have to adjust your life away from what's just about me and how to take this thing that's divine and put it into the right thing and start using it in the right place. So it, it's not only an attitude of being a giver, but it's, man, it's going to take time and it's going to take energy. How many people have backed down right there? And what they're backing down from is they're saying, I don't have time to take this gift I have for God and put it into use in his body and serve and do different things. Just a thought. But here's what we need to understand. If we want to truly... Um, have purpose in life or live with purpose, I need to start putting these things into action. Purposeful or use in these ways and giving and doing in all the areas we are to give makes us actually default and go into a purposeful life, a God-purposeful life. Because if I'm using his giftings the right way in the right place, I'm going to start living a God-designed life and a God-designed purpose. How many people truly have gifts and are not using them in the body? Then the body is not looking like it should. And people don't know why, but when those gifts are put into use, the body starts looking like a body and starts functioning like a body. We belong to God. We belong to God's body. And uh, if we have these gifts, these gifts are to help the body. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about all of us. But I can't wait on somebody else to do their part. I have to value the time I have to use the gift I have. You with me? I should not wait till tomorrow to start serving and doing something because tomorrow will turn into a week, another week, another month, another year. And I've seen people that have told me, I know I'm supposed to be there at this church or that church and doing this. And they'll say, well, I'm busy. I have this this weekend. I have this this weekend. And I've watched some of them go two and three years and four years now, and they're not in any church. They're, but they still have a gift. That means they have a supply divine from heaven to be infused into a local body. Well, that body is suffering. If it's ours, we go without in that area. If it's a different church, they go without. But it doesn't mean there aren't the resources in the earth you with me? 
because every believer's got the resource. Ephesians 4. Let's look at this verse. Talking about the gifts that every person has and how God's given to every single Christian. I don't care how young you are, old. There is a way to create and make a supply. You with me? Ephesians 4, 16 says this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, and he's talking about Jesus being the head, by which every joint or every part supplies. Every part has a supply in the body. Every gifting that's in you is a supply for the body. And it says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. And when they're infused, they do something to a local body. But here's the thing. We can't have an attitude of, well, I'm going to do it my way. I'll do it when it's convenient. I'll do it when it works out. And we start having this me, I, 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 I. Turn to Isaiah. We're going to look at a couple of things right here. Isaiah, the 14th chapter. And uh, you could back up and read some different things there that, you know, would be fascinating to people about Satan and uh, hell and how hell operates. And there's different things here. But we're going to skip down to verse 12. And uh, look at an attitude of somebody who was real gifted, who had musical instruments built in. I'm talking about Lucifer, Satan, or now we know him as Satan. He had beauty and everything you can read in Ezekiel about him. And he just was beautiful, but he was created that way. He had a gifting to serve God and to, and to do something purposeful in heaven and for God in the unseen realm. He had built-in musical instruments. I mean, he was created this way. He was beautiful, the Bible said. But the Bible talks about how he was lifted up within himself and we're going to look at one of those scriptures right here. Verse 12, it says, 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. He belonged in heaven. He belonged serving God. He belonged. I mean, think of the joy of getting to fulfill a divine purpose because of a gift. There is something that occurs. Well, he had certain gifts to sing and to do different things. So he'd be right there before God, right where his power was, right there and got to see unmatched glory because he had a gift. It put him in a place when he served with that gift. The benefit of life, God life, was affecting him hugely. He didn't want that place of serving. He wanted a place to be served. And he had this arrogant attitude and thought, I don't want to serve. But he had gifts. He was created to do that. He wasn't created by God to be God. 
And we're not created by God to be God. But when we do the thing that we're created for, it brings fulfillment and purpose, and there is a blessing in it. Somebody said, but I'm not called to do what you're called or what they're called to do. It doesn't matter when you find your place and do your thing, there will be divine goodness in it. And here it says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, he, had, he, he started developing in this wild in God's presence. He didn't pay attention to his attitude, and he started developing a bad attitude. He said, and he's right there in front of God. You know, you ever wonder about the music industry and how it's so used as a tool for not good and for good? Wonder if he has anything to play in that. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. So God had given him some kind of throne. But he didn't like his throne. He wanted somebody else's. He said, above the stars of God. Stars in the Bible represent angels. And he said, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. That's where God sits. He said, you know what? The place God's given me is not where I want to be. Man, look what it did to his life. He had a wrong attitude. And it became destructive. He said, I'll sit also on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. That's where God is. God is in a geographic location in the spirit realm. You ever read the Bible where it says, promotion does not come from the east or the west or from the south. You ever read that? It says, but it comes from the Lord. Notice what location he didn't give. The north. Not from the east, not from the west, not from the south, but from the Lord. In other words, where he sits. And here he gives that geographic location. He said, I'm going to sit there on the sides of the north in the congregation of God, or where God is this, in this congregation in heaven where these people are. I'm sitting there on the farthest side of the north, and I will ascend above the heights and above the clouds. So he was below the heights or the mountains and below the clouds. And he said, and I will be like the most high. In other words, I'm going to run the show from now on. I'm not going to do it God's way. I am now arrogant enough that I think I can do it my way, and I'm going to get as many people to go my way as possible. And he said, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol or the pit, to the lower depths of the pit. Notice, th this didn't turn out so good for him. And the effect is ongoing. But he had a gift, but he had a wrong attitude. God loved him enough to give him all these wonderful giftings and abilities. And he was created not like us, where we have a free will. He was just supposed to do it. 
but he started getting this mechanism that people call arrogance and pride built into himself where he started thinking, I can do it my own way. I, I don't have to do it God's way. I don't like where I'm called to do. There's got to be more fun somewhere else. You know, the interesting thing about him and hell and where he is, there is no divine life anymore. The Bible calls hell everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine he is existing now without God's presence, without God's peace, without God's love, without God's purpose? He's an empty shell of what he was. He's vacant of life, but he was originally created to be able to be in a place, fulfill a purpose, disseminate things according to his gifting, and his was music and other things. And uh, now he's not doing that at least for God, and there's no, it's just bitter, hatred, evil, selfish ambition, it just, that's who he is. And he's causing ill, but that wasn't what God wanted. Wasn't the way he was designed, but he got a wrong attitude about the whole thing. And it, it, it drove him. It drove his actions. But here's another guy, because we don't want to leave you on that. To like, whoa. Acts 9. Here's another guy who at one time was living like the devil, literally doing things that are attributed to a demonic influence. Hurting, destroying, killing, attacking the church. He had a gift from God. He wasn't using it. In Acts 9, we read this story about a man named Saul. And I'm so glad for this because Saul lived a horrible life before he served the Lord. And maybe you've been a Christian a while and haven't been living the best life. There's still a purpose, but it takes the right kind of attitude where I go, okay, it doesn't matter the position I have. I need to start serving God and become flexible. And notice this in Acts 9, verse 3. Paul has been, this man that we know here as Saul, um, had a gifting but was sure not using it for God. He was religious, and he had this encounter in verse 3, in the ninth chapter. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell, or he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who is he persecuting? Remember, every part has a gifting. Every person who's saved is part of the body of Christ called the church. And God here, the Lord Jesus, said, you're persecuting me. But how was he? He was attacking those body parts. God looks at us with such value. I mean, such high value that the Lord just didn't go, well, you know, they're attacking those Christians. He said, no, they're attacking me. And when he addressed Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said in verse 5, and he said, Paul, who are you, Lord? He didn't know Jesus. Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, because he knew he was somebody big, how this encounter came. He said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, which are like a cattle prod thing, a poker, a steel poker with a hook. And remember, you wore sandals back then. And he said, it's hard to kick against me or the body or the church or the individual parts that are making up the body. And he said this after he finds out who he is. Now, here's the thing. Do you know who Jesus is? And if you know who Jesus is, the very next thing that he says is the thing we should say. How many times are we not taught to say and to ask what he asked? And we go to church and we say, what can the church do for me? What do they have for me? And you know, that was the first thing Paul said was after he said, who are you? He said, oh, you're the Lord. Well, what can you do for me? What do you got for, for me? You're God. His attitude changed this day and for the rest of his life. He said this, verse 5, after he tells him who he is, Paul's got another question. Saul, verse 6, so he trembling, I mean, he's shaking and astonished, said, Lord, what are you going to do for me? No, he said, what do you want me to do? Everybody should be asking that. You can't ask that for 12 years, honestly, and not be doing anything. But notice, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In other words, the Lord gave him the first step. He said, when you take the first step, I'll give you more. There's some people who are waiting for a second and third step. They know they've got a big destiny on their life, but they're not even taking the first simple step that the Lord requires. But it's interesting that every part, all of us, have a part to play. The first step is what starts putting you into divine purpose, divine destiny, start living it out. It makes that supply that is in the heart of God. There are people that are in this room, that are in this earth, that there is a destiny and a gifting in you and me that is also in the heart of God because he put it there with the ultimate design. He looks at you and goes, there's, a, there's something there. And you go, I know there's something here. But do you know you can go to your grave and the thing be still hid in you and still be hid in the heart of God? And it was meant to be added to the body, not so you could be known, but you could be known as part of the body, but it's so that his body could be known for what it's supposed to be. 
You with me? So the body can be known for what it's supposed to be. And so he asked, who are you? Once you have a relationship with the Lord and you know him, the next thing is, what do you want me to do? If my prayers are more, what are you going to do for me? God, do this, do this. Maybe I need to adjust and go, what am I supposed to do for you? If I have a gift, I have a purpose. If I have a gift, God has a design. If I want to enter in, I got to start moving. Or I can leave like the guy who had the, the talents. Remember when the Lord came to the guys who had the talents? One had five, one had two, and one had one. And the one guy with one talent said he took it and he wrapped it in a cloth and buried it. And when the day of reckoning came, the Lord said to him, what have you done with the gift I gave you? He said, I knew you were hardcore. You did this and this, and he gives all these things. So he said, I took it, I wrapped it, and I hid it. Here it is. In other words, I didn't do anything with it. And you know what the Lord said? He said, oh, wicked servant. You could have at least given it to the usury or put it in the bank and gained a little bit of interest. Then he went to others who had gifts, and they had just put their gift into action and each one had doubled what they were given by God. I don't believe they were trying to double it. I just know when you put your gift into action, it grows, it expands, it has influence. Something happens to it. And so Paul said, here, what do you want me to do? And he started doing. Acts 20, verse 24, in the New Living Translation, at the end of Paul's life, he said, he said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Life is not life unless you're using your life for God. The work of telling others the good news about this wonderful grace of God. He said, unless I do what I'm called to do, life is worthless. The New English Standard, or the English Standard Version says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry or the service that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of this gift of grace. T.L. Osborne, a great minister uh, that has gone on to be with the Lord, said, a life lived not to fulfill God's purpose is a wasted life. Well, that's a pretty hard saying. But have you ever seen some cars that are little race cars? They belong on the track but they never drive them fast. Not encouraging that, just saying. You got an off-road vehicle, but you never take it off-road. And you tell people, look at this, you know, this is an off-road vehicle. That's a nice off-road vehicle. Everybody gives praise for your off-road vehicle. How good it looks. That's wonderful. Have you ever taken it off-road? No, 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 no. I got a semi. I bought a semi. You did? You tow stuff? No, no. No, I don't, I don't do that. This thing's going to get dirty. I, it's got to look good. 
It was created to do that. Some people don't even know what they got because they haven't even taken the first step to plug in and start doing something and see what would come out of them. Others very much know they have something and are doing nothing. Others are. But what we're created for, Paul said, the way he finished his course with joy was by not doing it his way, but plugging in and serving the body. You know, and there are ways we can do this. We should serve the body. We should pray for the body. You pray for the body? If you belong to those other people, pray for them. Do you give to the body? Do you sow? Do you plant financially into the body? Do you do it the way God says? That's a good question. If I, if I belong to the body, am I contributing to the body? By praying. By giving. Because you think about it, I partake of the body I'm in. Do you promote the greater health of the body? That could be in so many ways. Encouraging people, witnessing, having the back of the body. Because when you do it, you're actually, like the Bible said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. I don't know about you, but time is short even if we're young. And if we all do our part, how good it is 